the Sports Career Podcast, episode 266. What skill sets do you need to pursue a career in sports management? Hello Sports Achiever and welcome to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers and before I talk about this week's podcast special guest, have you joined my Sports Career Job Newsletter where every week I share the latest roles in the sports industry so you can take action and apply. Head to education to sport forward slash jobs for more information also, if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and give this podcast a honest review. Now, as always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest with regards to sports management and representing athletes. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, this week's podcast special guest is Simon Dent. Simon has a fascinating sports career journey. He is a sports agent, entrepreneur, and the founder of Hero. Hero is a talent agency which helps athletes on and off the sports field with regards to commercial opportunities and mentorship. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Simon as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Simon will share his sports career journey and explain to you the core skills you need to be a sports agent with regards to athlete management. Simon, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Wow. Um, quite a while ago now, 20 years. Um, and it started really by accident and stroke adversity. I think I'd mentioned you previously that started life as a solicitor uh, in the city. And yeah, I thought very much my career was going to be one of being a city lawyer. Uh, it was only when that career um, really hit the skids through bouts of depression, severe anxiety, um, that I found myself at a real crossroads in life. And yeah, that's one when the, 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 the sort of, I suppose, the world of sport really opened up to me. Okay, just really quickly, if you don't mind, with regards to your education, just for painting the picture for listeners, I assume you did a law degree of some sort? Yeah, so I basically, um, it's quite a traditional route, um, a-levels at Sixth Form College and then I studied law at the University of Kent which was a brilliant experience, great uni, um, really good degree um, but yeah I suppose after that I then did the what was then called the LPC which was I suppose, I mean it's all changed now but that was a sort of one year at law school and then you did a two-year training contract or articles as they were then called, <laughs> I'm showing my age now um, and that was that yeah that's, that was the route to becoming a solicitor then. And then you said it was an accident. So out of interest, how did it start this route in sport? Like really quick, I'm not trying to mention age, but you did say 20 years. Yeah. How has it changed? You said it was an accident, but was there an industry pathway in this route of athlete management or was it more the people you knew that opened up doors through your area of expertise? Really good question. I think now today, it certainly is a, an industry. It's probably a profession you can get careers guidance on whilst at school, university. Um, 
back in, so we're talking 20 years ago now, um, and actually maybe a bit more than 20 years ago, it wasn't really something I was aware of. As I said, I'd had some um, pretty uncomfortable experiences in the legal profession. Um, and then I found myself at a crossroads and I actually found myself working as a nightclub promoter, believe it or not. Now this has uh, um, relevance to the story because it was an environment where myself and uh, a number of people have put together a promotions agency. We worked for a chap called Nick House, who was a sort of a uh, nightclub entrepreneur, really the first one. And we were running 22 parties a week at what you'd class as the sort of high-end venues in nightclubs in London. And it was in that environment that I started meeting lots of professional sportsmen. So you can sort of see where this is going, I guess, where being a, a qualified lawyer, I then started developing friendships with well-known sports personalities. And yeah, I guess before I know it, um, the trust was there. I know we'll come on and talk about trust a lot later, but um, it was something where then I started getting asked if I would take a look at a contract or an endorsement deal, et cetera. And, and that's really my path to the sports industry, which it does sound quite bizarre. However, I know for a fact um, two well-known other football agents who actually have gone the, the same route. I think Jorge Mendes, who's Ronaldo's agent, Mourinho's agent, is well known as being, a, he was a, a DJ at Portuguese nightclubs and a club promoter. And uh, Jamie Vardy's agent, um, who set up a very successful agency called Key Sports, again, um, used to be a rival on the club promotion scene. Just really quickly, from a skill set perspective, looking back, how was that experience with that nightclub experience supported you now from a skill set perspective? I'm just so curious now. Like, how, how are those skills transitioned to the work you're currently doing? Great question. And again, I think there's two big things that stand out for me. And it's only now that I really start to look back and, and actually, to be honest, over the last 15 months during the pandemic, you sort of, we've all had a lot more time for reflection. And firstly, I think the art of sales. I mean, effectively, I was, the job of a nightclub promoter back then was pre-social media, if you've got to remember that. So there's no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram. It was, you know, we, we some of our venues would hold 2,000 people. And it was about calling, making calls to people, inviting people, meeting people on the street. We'd have armies of flyering teams. We'd have what we'd call sub-promoters. So we would incentivize people to bring 10 friends. And for that, they would get a commission on the door entry. So it was aggressive sales. And, and ultimately, it's funny, isn't it? I suppose the nightclub industry has taken a massive hit over the last 15 months. But back then, we were really at the advent of sort of theming parties, theming events, having celebrity hosts. Like we, we, we you know, I, I like to think we were one of the first businesses doing that in the nightclub world. And because effectively all we are doing really is trying to get 2000 people in a black dark room underground a lot of the time. So it was quite a hard sales job. And when you're doing it in London, there are, there's a lot of other things to be doing on, on, a, on, a, on a, you know, Saturday night. So I think sales is a massive thing. And then, Equally as important, I think, was networking. And I sort of, I term it as sort of getting on with people from different backgrounds. I mean, the, the circles that we used to move in were, were quite extraordinary, really. We had, you know, in some nightclubs, we'd have, you know, professional footballers, professional rugby players, royalty, gangsters, all sorts of people. And we'd pride ourselves in never being any trouble. And one of the reasons we used to do that was we used to ensure that when people arrive at the venue, we were being, as the host, we'd always ensure they'd meet each other, we'd introduce them, find a common thread. 
And I really do think that's where one of the skills of networking for me was really developed in, in finding that common thread between people and, and sort of introducing them and helping them get on. Just on that point with the different types of parties, how have your communication skills elevated from that environment as well or setting, I should say? I mean, it's a really good question. I think you, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, actually. I think that in that environment, you, you quickly try to make people feel at ease. You obviously spend a lot of time asking people about themselves and not talking about yourself. Ironic, as I'm doing a podcast about myself. But yeah, it's sort of, it was very much about other people. And also, really importantly, you know, we were at work, even though it was, you know, a lot of our mates were envious that we used to work in these nightclub settings. It was work and it was people's valued entertainment free time. So, you know, if you had a group of people coming on a Friday night, you had to make sure they had the best time and that, that would also in the lead up to the night would involve listening, ensuring they had what they wanted. And a lot of the time, you know, as I said, the sort of clubs we're talking about, people spent a lot of money. So it was a, you know, it was, it was quite a fragile environment. And again, in that environment, when you add alcohol into the mix, you do have to, I suppose, deal with people in a slightly different way to if you're chatting to them on a Monday morning. Absolutely. And I just want to touch on the sales bit because there's one thing I've learned on this podcast that the listeners, doesn't matter what age or what area, it's something to build that skill, um, particularly of selling yourself. May I ask from that experience how your sales skills not just helped you get people in the club, but helped you sell yourself with this next opportunity of being a agent? Because I'd love to just tap into the course sales skills that have supported you breaking it down for the listener of what they need to do, if that makes sense. I think in that environment, uh, listening was always key. And that's, you know, very much in advance of the actual, you know, what you'd call going to the sales funnel. I mean, as I said, it wasn't, you know, a lot of time we were solving people's problems and those problems were what were they going to do on a, on a Friday or Saturday night. And so we would, we would listen to the type of event they wanted, the type of people they want to be around, and then we'd have this portfolio of nights where we could make sure they went to the right events. And I think that's where, you know, for me, listening is so, so important because ultimately you, you want to be solving somebody's problem. And ultimately, if you can fix that problem, you effectively enter a sales process. Absolutely. And just with regards to this next step now of going into athlete management, could you just now paint the picture to listener of, the nightclub scene to then now to where you are today, just to paint that whole picture up. Not only guys, a few, there's a few, I mean, I'll tell you everything, but we're obviously going to have to pick and choose which we shine a light on. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I then had the fascinating time of, of running nightclubs, meeting lots of sports, but sports personalities. Um, I then started working for a number of people um, at that time. The main one being Martin O'Fire, who had just finished a rugby league career and was had come down to London Wasps to play union. Um, I'd also met Dwayne Chambers, who at the time um, had been banned by the BOA from his Olympics um, in Beijing. And I'd been helping Dwayne overturn that ban. And however, before actually going into full-time athlete management, there was another itch I wanted to, to scratch. And that was I opened a sports memorabilia gallery in Covent Garden. And so that, again, was a, a marriage of my passion of sport my sales, I guess, skills I'd recently learned working in nightclubs and also just this, um, I guess, long-standing um, interest in, in owning a shop. Now, I don't know where that came from, but again, I found myself 
Um, with a shop in Covent Garden selling sports memorabilia. Now, this obviously, again, allowed me to meet lots of sports personalities. It got me really on the front line of sales. I mean, I was the only person that worked in the gallery. So I was there from, you know, nine to eight, seven days a week. But yeah, I learned a hard, hard lesson. And that was obviously, um, I opened the shop around the same time as the, the global economy crash. So that that was in itself quite interesting. But off the back of that, um, yeah, I went into uh, being a, a talent management full time. Um, built up a business, signed the likes of Vinnie Jones, John Barnes, Jimmy Bullard, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Chris Kamara, a really nice broad range portfolio of clients. Um, and that manifests itself um, by selling that business to a, a company called Raw Global, who then became into Talent Global. Um, I then worked um, with them for a number of years. And then um, I then found myself um, helping BBH set up a creative uh, sports focused creative agency called BBH Sport. And that was in 2014, 2016. And then 2016, um, I founded my own creative agency called Dark Horses. So that sort of brought us up to last year um, when I stood down as the MD of Dark Horses. And, and yeah, as hopefully some of your, your listeners would have seen, I've launched a, a new talent agency called Hero. Um, this January. Okay, just got to take a time out <laughs> here because there's a few areas I just want to touch on. With mm. regards to the core skills to work in sports management, we'll break this down a little bit. What would they be? And there's one area I would love you to focus on, particularly if people want to be agents, is the real value of trust. I know this is very overused, but with the clients you've mentioned, that must have been a massive component particularly with these high-end sports people, it's something, you know, athletes can be used the wrong way. And I want my listeners to learn that if you can value the trust the right way, it can open up more exciting opportunities, which you've had just from listening to your last point. So would you just mind just breaking down the real qualities that supports you in particular with regards to that value of trust? Yeah, I mean, trust is, yeah, it's key. And I think that what was interesting and it was only really on reflection that I noticed it was that because the roots of my talent business were, were founded in working in nightclubs, what I realized was that I was actually looking after a lot of well-known sports personalities whilst arguably there at the most vulnerable, i.e. when they were having a night out, when they were relaxing. Now, bear in mind, this is back in the, the early sort of 2000s when, you know, the news of the world and the gutter press were at its peak. So it was you know, Saturday nights in the West End, there was always tabloid journalists hanging around, you know, paparazzi outside nightclubs. And myself and my colleagues running these parties, it was very much our duty to ensure that those high profile people had a good time and could relax. And I think that, you know, obviously there were competitive artists who were selling stories and the like, and that was just wasn't our thing. So I think that gave me a real solid foundation of trust within that community. And again, yeah, off the back of that, it was about maintaining and building. And I think you're quite right. It's like any personal relationship, which it is, trust has to be at the heart of it. And also just really quick, just from the clients you mentioned, you're, you're testing my history now from the you know early 2000s, a lot of sports were transitioning from amateur to professional. If you look at rugby, for example, we've had a few rugby clients, it was still amateur. It was, they were getting paid, but nowhere near to the professional of where it is now. How has that changed? And sort of let's look at the Premier, the new Premier League. That was only eight years in with the Barclays Premier League. So may I ask how reflecting of your career, 
how the, the professionalism has shifted from the 2000s to where we are today. Yeah, goodness, there's, 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 a, there's a lot of parts that I can sort of unpack. But I think on, from, from a sort of, you know, looking at the talent point of view, very much um, in all aspects of sports, both on field and off field, obviously it's professionalised. Like there's a lot, there's a lot more um, money involved. So therefore, I think the standards of raised, the qualities raised, um, and arguably the sort of the 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 microscope on the talent is 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 bigger. I think that the one thing that has benefited the sports management industry has been around the realization acceptance that these personalities are brands in themselves now obviously 20 years ago that was in its infancy but people didn't really understand how to package it up and also to be quite honest with you um, the clubs and governing bodies didn't want to acknowledge that that was the case they wanted to hold all the power and as you said the Premier League came in had too much power Sky had too much power the clubs were trying to exert both, I mean, rugby league, rugby union and football, which are the sports I've worked in primarily, um, were trying to exert control over their athletes. Now, when I was working with some quite high profile players, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, it was really frowned upon um, to do anything away from football. You'd, you'd, you'd get a boot deal away, but anything else, the club would block. And so there would be tension all the time between wanting to do some sort of commercial activity uh, and the, the, the manager saying no or the club CEO saying no. Whereas actually today, um, that's completely changed. Now, it's changed a lot of, I'm arguably because of social media, it's sort of, it's, it's a non-controllable now. But I think as well, the clubs actually finally realise that if, you know, their assets, i.e. players, are building brands off the field and that does indirectly benefit the club and could actually directly benefit the value of the player so it's gone full circle in that respect and obviously that that makes the job of an agent a lot easier because it allows us to go out and seek more appropriate opportunities and finally with regards to that non-controllable social media that's probably been a big shift what guidance would you give to young agents to support their clients of how their client use social media as a tool then a place where it can lead to big arguments or controversy or friction shall we say like do you, how do you get that balancing right because if that goes the trust element or the hard work your end can be uncontrollable from an agent's point of view fascinating space because obviously historically I would get clients a column and that would be a, a really well curated probably ghost written article once a week that we'd have full control over and that would be the, the the sort of talent's view on what had happened in the world that week whereas obviously now it's a complete open season with regard to social media because they're effectively publishing columns every day every hour so i am i'm incredibly blessed blessed to work with chris kamara and this january is actually our 10th anniversary working together now yeah so 10 years ago we didn't have twitter and i remember cami really at the start of Twitter being quite anti and we sort of, I remember the conversations you have, it was quite funny. And so um, the great thing about him is he's incredibly authentic. He obviously runs his own Twitter. You'll be able to tell that immediately by looking at some of the posts and some of the photographs, but 
it's authentic. And yeah, look, I do have a bit of a concern these days that there are businesses that have been founded that run talent social media. Now I've got nothing against agencies sourcing commercial opportunities for talent that then manifest and live on the talent social media. What doesn't really sit comfortably with me is someone pretending to be a talent and posting comments on matches or cultural commentary, because to be perfectly honest, 99% of the time, the public realize it's not the talent and it's just that doesn't serve anyone. So I, I think it's a space that you have to obviously, um, yeah, you've got to really um, be honest with yourself. And, and if you trust yourself to go on social media, I think you kind of know, I think, we all sort of know how we are on social media and some of us accidentally fall into arguments with expletives and have to be deleted. Whereas some people are just quite passive and, and probably are better for social media. But yeah, that, that very much depends on the individual personality, I think. Thank you very much. And I have to ask this question. What have you enjoyed or learned working with Cami for the last 10 years? Well, listen, I've learned a hell of a lot to be honest it's been an absolute privilege and I think that he um I've never spent time with someone who's got so much time for other people he's incredibly humble he's incredibly caring um there's a lot of layers to him that people probably now are really understanding more and more um he's had a fa fantastic career um sort of I guess on the field and then off the field and to be honest it's it's really just getting started. I mean, it's so exciting. Some of the opportunities that we're working on, there's a big announcement that's coming up, which I think people will be really excited by. But yeah, look, he, he's an incredible guy. And, and again, one of the things that we all go back to is around work ethic. And yeah, I know we, we, we've, we've spoken about sort of the behaviours and we, we've spoken about trust being something that's really important. But, you know, I'm incredibly blessed to work with, people who understand work ethic I think to have reached the top of their game in the chosen sport whether that was 40 years ago 30 years ago or today from the age of six upwards to the age of 21 they've been assessed on monthly basis and you know therefore a number of their competitors have fallen away and yeah, they know that you have to give your all. And so when you when you, when you're incredibly blessed, your clients give 110%, it's kind of it's, it's a dream situation, really. Just talk about the work ethic, because there's one thing I've learned now work doing work, a little bit of work with athletes from their traits, how they've sort of affected your personal development. I'm just really curious because you've you've mentioned some big names, how their personalities or like let's say work ethic have sort of molded to you and how you've developed as an individual? Great question. And, and to be perfectly honest, I think it's, I probably didn't acknowledge it as much as I probably should have done in the infancy of my career in talent management. I was obviously aware of the work being put in, in training and, you know, on the field. But yeah, I don't think I was, I don't think I was actually of an open mind and what you'd call a growth mindset then. I think what's happened for me personally is that in the last I think 10 years probably from, yeah, yeah, around 2012, actually. Um, I really started to understand and appreciate that I suppose the levels that they'd gone to. And that really has rubbed off on me now. And I think that, yeah, I mean, we've, we've joked about it earlier. I've sort of, I, I enjoy a bit of running now. And I think that 
I am some of the running that I do, you know, I've just announced I'm doing my first hundred miler um, on the 16th of April this year with um, Jamie Peacock, who's an ex rugby league legend and Sam Rents, ex Bryson footballer and, and a friend of mine, Chris Williams, who works at the British cycling. Um, you know, that for me, a lot of the things that I do in, in training for that race, obviously when Jamie Peacock's your training partner and your running partner, there's a lot you can absorb. So yeah, I think it's, I'm incredibly blessed to have had a window into that world. And yeah, I'm kind of glad that I've, I've, you know, it took me a while, but now I am really, um, I'm a sponge whenever I'm around these guys. And just talk about running. It's such a natural conversation now. Looking back, how has running supported you from a lifestyle perspective working in the sports industry? Because the first thing you said on this interview is, you, you know, it started with adversity, like, from the sort of legal background, how has running used that as a tool to eliminate any adversity internally or just in the work you do? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And to be honest, it's for me, it's a, it's a, it's so obvious now, like running has been just incredible for me. And I think that, um, again, it's we, 2012, so 10 years ago, 10 year anniversary is, really when um i mean firstly i must credit it's the, the year i met my now wife so we actually got together in 2012 we had the obviously the incredible summer of the london olympics and it's also the the, the summer i got into running and it's so it's sort of yeah the last 10 years i think the fairly meeting lucy changed my life um running starts to change my life i didn't do my first marathon in 2014 though so i had two years of building up to that and also I think the what we all witnessed in London 2012 was just the most spectacular gathering of what sport can do for a community and a society and and and, and also for inspiring the next generation I think yeah those three things coming together but yeah running for me it's something that I do um I set relatively seriously now I, I you know I run probably every other day I probably do um, four or five big events a year. I said I'm doing my first 100 mile in four months, which I'm really excited about, raising money for greenhouse sports. Um, but yeah, for me, it's my thinking time. It's when I'm out. Um, I, I obviously listen to podcasts, so I, I get through quite a lot of podcasts. Um, it's, it's learning time. It's sort of, but yeah, for me, it's the best form of therapy. And, and dare I say, it's it's a huge reason why I'm doing what I do today and, and how I'm so blessed. Just really quickly, how has running helped your mental health as well? Especially in sport where it's 24 hours. Like you know this more than I do, but it's non-stop, this industry. It, it's like a big machine. Yeah. No, look, it's 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 thinking time, right? It's selfish time. It's me time. Um, as I said, a lot of times I go out of the podcast. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll go out and try and solve a problem. So there'll be something that's getting me down or I'm thinking about. And, you know, I'll make the commitment to by the end of the run have come up with a number of solutions. And, and therefore, when I get back, when the endorphins, dopamine's pinging around, um, I will commit to a solution. So, yeah, it's it's incredibly useful. I do often wonder how I got through my 20s without it, to be honest. And that's not, you know, me lecturing people. Obviously, you, you know, when you're in your 20s and you're messing about and partying, it's yeah. But for all your listeners that are in their twenties, they've got a real treat when they're in the thirties and forties because running is just, for me, yeah, it's an, it's an incredible legal high and it's it's something I'm sure I'll be doing, you know, in, until I can, to be honest with you. Awesome. I hope the listeners have taken notes as much as I'm doing this whole conversation. Last pillar of question, because um, you said you had an itch 
um, with regards to other projects. Now, I would love to talk about Dark Horses because I'm just curious of what inspired you to get into this world of the sports industry. And the one I do question I have, please explain what Dark Horses is, but my other question is the creative side. So how's Dark Horses from a creative side supported you as an agent? I'm just curious on that. Great question. I mean, so I, I was incredibly blessed to spend two years um, helping set up BBH Sport. And I then had the idea to, to create a, a sports-focused creative agency. To do that, I knew I couldn't do it by myself. So, um, yeah, I, I approached the best in class at the time, who were Lucky Generals, really well-established advertising agency, probably around eight years old now. Um, but, yeah, Helen Calcraft, Danny Brooke-Taylor and Andy Nairn, we sat down. Um, we committed to creating the best sports-focused creative agency in, in the summer of 2016. And I think we did that. And we, we had an incredible time doing it. I learned loads from those three, but also, you know, big, big pillar for me is always surrounding yourself with people who are smart than you. And when we got off to a fast start at that agency, um, we were able to recruit the best in class. So it was an incredible time as we built the agency. We worked with some brilliant brands such as Nissan, Peloton, Just Eat. Um, and yeah, it was a fantastic experience. We, we built the agency up to around sort of 50, 60 people. And as I said, last summer, um, I stood down as the MD. Um, I took a break, and yeah, the, the agency has gone from strength to strength. In fact, this year has been our best year. Um, I'm still obviously involved as a shareholder, um, but yeah, it's a wonderful business. And actually, to be honest, um, in the last sort of eight months, when working out what I want to do next, um, it obviously was a big factor because I learned so much about brand in the in the five six years I spent working with those uber bright people. Um, I wanted to take that into, back into the world of talent. Now, there are some very good talent agents who understand brand. Um, but for me, it was now about the context that I developed across brands, both in the UK and globally, but also helping talent to start to understand and think of themselves as brands. So injecting a bit of brand strategy. Um, yeah, so that that's sort of where the idea for Hero was born out of that dark horses. And yeah, it's, it's an exciting time, really, sort of incorporating what I learned at BBH and at the agency at Dark Horses into my new agency. We'll talk about Hero quickly, just from a career mm. journey perspective, because a lot of people think, well, I want to be an agent. I've got that for the next 40 years or I want to work with brands. And that's how have you learned pivoting has helped you from the growth perspective. And it's a healthy thing to do because... Yeah. I'm really curious on that because I'm, I'm, I've only got a six year gig in this industry. And what you've just said there has taught me actually pivoting is a good thing, not a scary thing. Do you know what? And I, and, I, and I wish I could articulate it better. I think that going back to right to the beginning of my story, I did only end up in the sports industry because I hit rock bottom. You know, I was I was very ill. Um, I, I was, you know, diagnosed with depression, severe anxiety and that led me to think, right, what do I really enjoy? And that's what opened the door to a career in sport. And whether that was in talent, retail, you know, talent management, creative, back to talent management, um, it really has been, I've, I've been incredibly blessed. I think pivot is a word that is used a lot. Um, I don't overthink it. I, I, th I suppose one character, one personality trait, I know I'm quite blessed with is that tenacity. And I, I just feel that it's not often I lose a fight. And I think that more often than not that fights with myself. But if I point my guns at something, um, 
I move heaven and earth to make it happen. And I think that's the thing. Once I commit to something, um, I always follow through with it. And finally, there's one word in the sports injury I do, do learn is ego. How do you control the ego? Because you said you stepped down at Dark Horses, but, and now it's even thriving. So where do you, of course, your focus, which you've just said, but ego is a big thing in the sports injury, which we can over, over yeah, I just think it, it's, it, it stops us going further for ourselves and or other projects we're doing. That's what my point is on that. No, it's a really good question. And I think, obviously, you know, when you work with talent who are the best at what they do, and again, going back to them being plucked from the playground age eight and being put into sort of high performance environments where they are just told they're the best, they're the best you know, they are the best. And you sort of, so you work with these people and you, 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 you sort of learn a lot from that. I think from my point of view, um, I've always been more than comfortable accepting that um, being, the, you know, not being the smartest of the room is a really comfortable place to be. And I think that there's, definitely um it's more than okay to be the person that set things up and then doesn't run them i think i am very much a, a jack of all trades i think my strengths are tenacity my network and linked tenacity is my work ethic um and I, I think i'm quite amenable but that doesn't mean i have necessarily any core skills in the creative agency i was never a an account man a strategist a designer or a creative um and so obviously when you get to a business to a certain size and you have aspirations for that business to, to really explode, then you probably aren't the best person for the job. And that, 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 that's, you know, yeah, you might have the odd uncomfortable moment thinking about it, but it's incredibly liberating when you realize that, that actually it's quite exciting to be able to move around different areas and facets of the, the sports industry um as i have done thank you so much for sharing that part and now could you just share a little snapshot of hero what's it about and what's the the real passion behind it yeah so hero um as i said i've been sort of planning it for eight months now we launched at the end of december and effectively i i, I wanted to launch a talent management agency that not only focused on obviously the commercials for the, for the individuals but really helping them shine a light on things such as their mental health well-being wellness giving back to the community they've come from. And it's a space, obviously, in athlete activism that's, that's really become quite big in the last few years. But yeah, whether it's, you know, Chris Kamara, Jeff Stelling, Cruz Leeming, Ryan Sidebottom, Ine Umatong, a number of personalities we're working with, um, we are doing things that um, I think a lot of other talent agencies aren't. And that, that for me is an incredibly exciting space. Um, I think that I've seen a real those raft of high profile sports personalities retire and then have a number of issues. I, I've worked with them. And I think that for me now, working with current talent and helping them foresee what's coming um, is something I can give them quite a bit of advice about. And I think whether that's a, you know, a 25 year old professional footballer who's at the top of his game, preparing him without, you know, scaring him, preparing him for, for what's coming when they're 35 and they're no longer playing, you know, whether that's helping them with business opportunities now, finding other interests, finding business interests that when they finish playing, they can transition easily into. Um, it's very much a sort of suite of services with the offer. So yeah, it's really exciting. And, you know, I've been quite lucky because obviously it was never a sort of standing start. I've had relationships with Cami and, you know, Jeff for a long time and, bringing on some other current sort of sports personalities, a couple of high profile ones who I can't mention quite yet, but 
it's really exciting. And yeah, I'm very, again, I just feel very blessed I can work in this industry. And finally, with regards to what you do at Hero, but just any you know, agents coming in, how important is it for them to think about their care of the client? Like you mentioned it, that 25-year-old, let's use that as a micro case study, like planting the seeds. It's not just about when they're on the pitch. So important to think about off the pitch. I know it's state the obvious, but you probably know this more than I do. They care just ha- what happens on the pitch. And then afterwards, you know, the athlete can go through a dark path. So I just would love your thought, just to any tips to young agents to bear that in mind. It's just as important. Historically, it's been a bit, a bit of a problem um, in the talent management world that you'd, you'd hear stories of agents, I suppose, using talent and then as soon as they're not earning money, then sort of chucking them onto the scrap heap. And that's obviously completely opposite place to where we're coming from. You know, we will help all these guys post-retirement, whether that's moving into sports broadcasting or um, it could well be another industry. But, you know, we were with the Premier League in January and we're going to be working closely with the education department there. And, you know, as I said, we work with a number of charities. So we believe that we can really help players do that. And I think ultimately goes back to that point about having a network and whether that's helping young talents, um, introducing them to mentors who can help them. Um, I, I'm just really excited about that space. I mean, for me, that's, uh, that's where the good stuff is. And that's where I know I can see a real benefit and, and make a real difference to these guys. Uh, you know, the stuff, the commercial stuff, stuff that'll happen, um, we've definitely got as a business um, the skills to do that. But it's, it's the other stuff we're really excited about. I can tell you're buzzing to get your hands dirty and get started. So I'm out of interest. What have you enjoyed the most looking back right now from your sports career? Oh, that's a good question. Um, enjoyed. Um, enjoyed or sense of achievement. And do you know what? There's a number of things. I think if I was to pick a few moments of enjoyment, I mean, it's a really good question. I'd say firstly, um, Martin O'Fire's statue at Wembley. So Martin, as I said, is one of my best friends. When Martin um, finished playing, we... He, you know, we even lived together for, for a period of time and it was it's brilliant times together. And actually having a statue um, at Wembley commemorating his try that he scored in the Challenge Cup final against Leeds when that was unveiled was, a, was just an incredible moment, just sort of sharing that with Martin. I think secondly, uh, when I signed Vinnie Jones was a sort of a bit of a, um, I feel like a bit of an arrival moment. I'd, I'd flown out to LA and I'd been introduced to him and we, we, we met and yeah, it was just sort of, Vinny was a big star at the time, and I mean, he's still a big star now. And it was sort of, when that happened, I really felt, wow, okay, um, this could be something. And then thirdly, I suppose, being a Tottenham fan, the stars really aligned in, um, oh, what year was that? 2019, when at Dark Horses, we were working with Nissan, we still are working with Nissan, um, and Nissan responds to the Champions League. And yeah, it was the year that Tottenham got into the Champions League final. I mean, this feels quite a while ago now. Um, Tottenham got into the Champions League final. I remember sitting um, with my client, who was also a Tottenham fan, and a friend of mine who worked at team marketing. And we were sort of sat outside the, the stadium in Madrid. And I, th- I was thinking, well, hold on a second. This is a Tottenham agency, everything coming together. And then the game kicked off and it rapidly went downhill. But it was a nice moment before kickoff. <laughs> really quickly, is this the magic of working in this industry? Yeah, look, I mean, we're incredibly blessed, right? We, we work in something we're passionate about. Um, it's, 
it is hard work. And I think that I certainly wouldn't advise, you know, people to, to get into the sports industry as a sort of, uh, yeah, as, as a sort of, it's on the assumption that it's all fun and games. It's not. But I think that, yeah, when you can work in something you're passionate about, it's, yeah, it's, it rarely feels like work, to be honest. Well, I hope the listeners are enjoying this podcast. I really don't want it to finish, to be brutally honest, but we have to finish on an inspirational question. You've provided bundles of guidance in this podcast chat, and I'm being honest, I'm getting my head around how you started in the club scene, to be honest. But I'd love you to just share your top three qualities that the listeners can put into practice today after listening to this podcast with regards to pursuing a career in the sports industry. What are those three top three qualities of yours? Okay. I'd say goal setting. So I set annual, monthly, weekly, daily goals. And that is literally a list that's typed out, put in front of myself every day. That is a, a non-negotiable for me. It's something that, um, and they're lofty goals, you know, and I, I think they are some that I don't reach. A lot I don't reach, but a lot I do. And I think that for me is a real guiding, almost like a North Star for, for, for time, to be honest. Um, Reading and having a growth mindset is the second one. I think, you know, I, I won't show my bookcase, but um, yeah, I, I try to read sort of two books a month. And that is just for me a non-negotiable. It's always learning, always taking on different perspectives from different people, different walks of life. Um, and, and that, again, is something that I've probably only really been doing for sort of 10 years again, where, you know, and then you sort of look back and realize how much you have read um that's an incredible blessing and in mixed into that i said i'd also say just watching you know interesting content on youtube again that's something that in the last 10 15 years we, we've been blessed to be able to do that historically that that resource wasn't available and so again I, i've said it before on podcasts that ignorance is a choice these days it's, it's all out there on youtube if you, if you want it and then i think the third one it goes back to my i guess nightclub days it's around networking and and meeting people i don't you know i Obviously, it's been hard in the last 15 months. And obviously, even coming out of it, we've all had to check ourselves a bit. What used to be second nature isn't the case now. But for me, I remember there was a period of time where I said yes to every single invite. And actually, it was funny because one, one evening, I was, there was an event I went to with Martin Fire, and I actually wasn't going to go. And it turns out that night, I sat next to someone who went on to buy my, my talent agency. And we'd never met unless I'd said yes, that invite. And that for me was a real reminder that always try and say yes. And I think that that for me, and it, it, a lot of it does come down to personality traits. A lot, I think a lot of people probably aren't as outgoing, but I guess with the advent of Zoom and being able to socialize online now, that that I guess is, is a similar sort of thing. Simon, they're awesome. I hope the listeners take that on board, particularly the networking one right at the end. Out of interest, how can people connect with you online and also see your new website? Yes, so um, herotalentagency.com. Um, my personal Twitter is Simon J. Dent. Not on Instagram, not on Facebook, um, but I probably make a bit too much noise on Twitter. And to be honest, we haven't even launched the Hero social channel yet, but they'll be coming in, in the coming months. Awesome. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website relating to this podcast. Simon, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. What a fantastic podcast with Simon. Honestly, there's so much learning lessons I've even taken from this podcast. But most importantly, the biggest golden nugget I've taken from this interview is it's all about transferable skills. Like 
the story when he said he started in nightclubs and it's the skill sets of communication, the skill sets of learning how to sell. That is how he transitioned into the sports industry. But most importantly, the third skill is the ability to connect and network in a club environment with high celebrity guests, make sure they're having a great evening. And it's exactly the same in the sports industry. It's all about entertainment. In a club, it's about entertainment on a Friday night. So he managed to transition that experience into the sports industry, which built really great trust with the clients he's working with now. Like for me, the point I'm saying is if a lot of people want to go straight in the sports industry, you can learn from other experiences like working for me at a restaurant, like for Simon working in clubs. It's amazing the skills you learn early on, which can be transferable later on in the area or industry sector or certain role that is applicable without a doubt if you want to be an agent having that legal background like for Simon having being a solicitor without a doubt has supported him when working with clients in athlete management but with the gust those core skills you can develop them in non-sporting environments but can transition into it if you have that real eye in what you want to do but most importantly having the right attitude and that's the other area I just really liked Simon's attitude with regards to his viewpoint of pursuing a career in the sports industry, setting up his own memorabilia shop, then also doing dark courses, that sort of entrepreneurial spirit and attitude is another aspect of this conversation I enjoyed as well. So look, if this is something you want to do with regards to representing or supporting athletes, I hope this podcast has supported you. And I'd love to hear your biggest takeaway. Share it on Twitter, edbowers101. Let me know your biggest takeaway. Because honestly, if you want to be a sports agent, this podcast will put you in the right direction, particularly in the football or rugby industry. But overall, I hope you just learned something from Simon, which you can put into practice right now. Not tomorrow, right now. I guarantee there's one learning lesson you can apply to your sports career development. So on that note, find that learning lesson, put it into practice now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Simon said, set goals, which are non-negotiable because that creates a North Star in what you want to achieve. Also keep reading, keep learning because that is how you develop a growth mindset.